Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Black Exposure Podcast. I'm checking in because I was really thinking about what's going on in the Twitterverse. And of course, if you aren't living under a rock, you know that there has been so much conversation around the case with the officers and Breonna Taylor, as well as the most recently released conversation from the CEO of Wells Fargo Bank, Charles Swarth, and his message to all of his employees that there is a lack of black talent available for recruitment. So I wanted to kick off with my thoughts around the case of Breonna Taylor. I had an opportunity to read through some of the court documents and I have to say it's very difficult to ascertain truth from lie when you wait over 150 days to render a decision about whether or not to indict officers surrounding a murder. Um, it becomes pretty clear to me that you're not spending 175 days deciding what to do. You're spending 175 days building a case. And the case that the officers were choosing to build was one that supported the decision to issue a no-knock warrant on Breonna Taylor's home. Now, I find this problematic for a few reasons. The first reason is, if Breonna Taylor had been somehow involved in some sort of drug syndicate, then I promise you it wouldn't have taken them 175 days to render this decision. We would have been exposed to numerous photos across our televisions, across our timelines, across our Instagram feeds, across every single social media, de- social media network, and across every single device would have been photos of her alleged involvement in this criminal enterprise. But yet they couldn't produce that. In fact, They're hinging this entire case on the fact that there was an alleged package received to her residence that was addressed to the alleged drug lord. Now, my question is this. If the police are saying that there was a package delivered to that address and they have evidence of said package being delivered, where are the photos showing him picking that package up? That's the first one. The second one, the police just allowed this man to to visit an apartment pick up a package riddled with drugs, walk off casually, get in the car, and then pull off. That's the second one. The third one is, if Breonna Taylor was involved in any way, in any criminal mastermind, there would have been tons and tons and tons of evidence we'd be looking at. Now, I'm no lawyer. I'm not a judge. I don't profess to be one. But I do know a little bit from watching shows like Power SVU, Criminal Intent. If you watch any of them shows, then you know that there is a process to secure a warrant to uh, intrude someone's home. And usually that warrant says you have reasonable doubt, like reasonable suspicion, right? That's usually what everything's based off of. So what's that reasonable suspicion? If I'm in front of a judge, I just can't walk up to a judge and say, hey, Mr. Judge, I want to go kick in the door of uh, Breonna Taylor for absolutely no reason. Any reasonable judge is going to say, okay, well, provide me with the data. What evidence do you have that this is a house that we should be invading at 12 o'clock in the morning? Now, if I'm the judge, I would say, well, what kind of surveillance have you done in this home in the past? Please provide me with the documented reports that says that you sat outside this home for the last three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, and you've witnessed in and out traffic back and forth from this apartment. 
Then further, I want you to show me the evidence that shows that you've trailed Breonna Taylor to her place of employment and you saw her making pit stops here and pit stops there. How about her social media feed? Where are all these connections where you see her tweeting and Snapchatting about how she's about to drop some drugs off? You don't see any of that. In fact, Breonna Taylor hadn't been involved with the boyfriend for months. Her parents say it's been two years, but let's assume it's been months since she's been involved with this boy. How could you possibly hold Breonna Taylor accountable for her past choices and significant others? Because to me, that's where the biggest problem is. I'm all over Twitter and I hear people legitimately saying, oh, well, she shouldn't have been involved with a drug dealer anyway. She should have never been talking to him to begin with. She put herself in that situation, this, that, and the third. I want you to ask yourself, how would you feel if you had to be held accountable for the choices of every single boyfriend or girlfriend you had in your past? I'm talking about the ones who've been arrested for for petty crimes. I'm talking about the ones who did drugs in the past. I'm talking about the woman beaters, the man abusers, the anything you want to call it. I'm talking about all of that. Imagine a situation where you were held accountable for all the choices and decisions that your significant other made. Even if you no longer dealt with that person. How fair would that be? Doesn't seem really fair, does it? Because it's not. You cannot hold her accountable for, for, her, for the choices and the boyfriend that she had. Maybe she didn't know how deep into the drug game he was. And once she found out, she realized, you know what? This ain't for me. I'm an EMT. I'm trying to do something better with my life and with my future. And then you put, you put her in a situation where she can't even defend herself. She can't even tell her own story because she don't have no story to tell. And as I dug through the documents a little bit more, the police are basically saying that, okay, well, we entered the, the apartment. We, 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 uh, in, we said it was the police at the door. We bust the door down. We kicked the door open. And her boyfriend willingly admits to firing a warning shot because he thought he was in the middle of a home invasion. When you look through the ballistic report, which they, which they refused to release, but I read some documents online that suggest that, in fact, the officer was shot by another cop, not by Breonna Taylor's boyfriend. Because if you ask me, if you invade my home and I have the, the mindset to issue a warning shot and not shoot you cold dead in the face, then that already tells me. That he's not a criminal, that she's not a criminal, and that they were literally caught off guard in a situation. This was not a planned attack. This was not a, oh, we know that's the cops. Yo, get the strap, get the strap. We gotta, we gotta shoot the cops. These are not the type of people, like, her boyfriend had no criminal record. She had no criminal record. They had no ties to drugs. These are not the minds of criminals. These are the minds of people who are standing their ground. Which leads me to another point. Under what circumstances can black people stand their ground? When is it safe for us to legally own weapons, legally defend our home, and legally protect our own? It's never okay. Why wasn't he, he was arrested at the scene of, of the crime. And, and by crime, I mean the crime against Breonna Taylor. He was, her boyfriend was arrested at the scene of the crime. Just, just straight up arrested. Like, you know, you tried, you, you arrested for attempted murder on a police officer. no. The police officer put themselves in a criminally negligent situation on the basis of what? On the basis of an alleged package for some sneakers? You don't build a case. You don't build a case in which you go and guns are blazing. Now, let me tell you something else. 
I watch. I used to watch cops. I used to watch all them criminal crime shows. If you thought that that boyfriend was inside of that apartment, there was absolutely nothing stopping those police from staging a stakeout outside of her apartment and waiting for homie to leave the apartment. He got to leave at some point. He got to leave at some point. What are you going to do? He, at some point, he's going to leave and you could have arrested him on the street. They knew for an absolute fact. That Brianna Taylor posed no threat to them. They knew she was an EMT. Don't tell me they didn't run a background search on her. Don't tell me they didn't search her social media. Don't tell me they didn't run through her bank account. They didn't subpoena her bank records to see if she was transacting any drug money or if there was some suspicious deposit or she was getting random cash apps. Come on, they did their due diligence. They found nothing. Nothing. Do you know what they did find? They found that she was a black woman. And they knew that there was nothing that they could do to defend the, or justify murdering her except for saying well she was a black woman because that's all I'm seeing all I'm seeing is well her boyfriend fired the first shot no her boyfriend was defending her and in, in the home in which he was in he was standing his ground with a lawful weapon it's nothing wrong with that and the cops shouldn't have put themselves in a situation where they would be shot at because when you, when you stampede someone's home, you put yourself in a situation to be shot. That, that's, just the real, that's just the reality of it. You don't, get the, you don't get the benefit of the doubt in my book. The benefit of the doubt is saying, you know what? We waited for her to exit her apartment. She was with the boy who we were actually looking for. You know what I mean? It was an unfortunate situation, but we tried to stop it. Somebody drew a weapon and it got ugly. But that's not what happened. She was in the comfort of her own home in the middle of the night. If you're not safe in your own home as a black woman and as a black man in this country, where are you safe? You're safe nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Which leads me to my next point, which is every time there's a criminal act against a black person, the first thing the police want to do is throw money or the state. Let me not just say the police. The first thing the prosecutor's office want to do or the city or the state want to do is throw money at the situation. Money don't solve everything. Money does not eradicate racism. And I'm really sick and tired of black people being used as pawns and saying, well, you know what? Oh, well, there was a civil settlement. They did get $12 million. They got this. They got that. So what? So what? What does that do? What does that change? That will never bring back her life. That will never, ever, ever undo the wrong that was done. It's not right, man. It's not right. Nobody should have to suffer like that. No, not her parents and certainly not her boyfriend who has going to have post-traumatic stress disorder from witnessing that. You know, every time somebody knock on the door, he going, he, who knows if he's breaking out into a sweat, he getting hot and bothered. He don't know who's coming, who's going. He don't know if he could trust the police anymore. Now he's worried, do I got to move out of state? What's going to happen at my next traffic stop? Nobody's talking about the, 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 the continued impact that's going to have on his life because he can't just go on. You know what I mean? It's, it's crazy, man. And that leads me to another point is that the reckless is it's all about reckless endangerment. Like the way that this country puts black lives in the face of reckless endangerment is wild to me. It's wild. How could you just in good conscience say some of the things that you say? And that brings me to the whole thing with the CEO of Wells Fargo and the comment, the boldness and the audacity that you must have as a white man to say something like that to 15,600 employees. And 
not even just them. Let's talk about the 260,000 employees who work at Wells Fargo who had the opportunity to read that email. Let's talk about the psychological damage you have done to your black employees. Who you, when you basically said, you know what, I'm the CEO and I'm going to go on record saying that there, there's not a talent pool of black people out here. And that's why we don't hire y'all. It's because you know what? Ain't nothing there. That's the biggest lie I ever heard. <laughs> biggest lie. Black women lead the charge in post-secondary education. Black women are starting businesses at a rate of 44% per year. I think the amount of black, uh, I'm sorry, minorities are starting businesses at 44% per year increase. Black women, 164% increase in the new businesses started since 2007. Don't tell me that you don't have educated black women out here. And don't tell me that you don't have educated black men out here because they are there. They're doctors, they're lawyers, they're judges. As a matter of fact, the attorney general on Breonna Taylor's case is allegedly a black man. There's plenty of talent out here if you go looking for it. What you failed to do was tell the truth, which the truth is I, as a CEO, have failed to hire the proper people to put into place to recruit, retain, attract, and develop black talent. That's the truth. And that's the accountability that you need to hold yourself to as a CEO. And you need to also say to yourself, self, what kind of message am I spewing to my organization by putting this statement out? And let me just back up a little bit because CEOs don't just put statements out. They don't just release statements. There's a team of people. There's legal. It goes through legal. It goes through HR. It goes through your chief of staff. There's a team of people that vet the statement that the CEO is about to put out. The press release people, your marketing, your publication manager. There's a team. And they say, you know what, Charlie, yo, bucko? You got it. Nail on the head. Green light on that statement. Come on. You have no truth tellers in your cabinet. And that's why you should be concerned, because if you are surrounding yourself about, around people who can't even tell you the truth about what's going on in your organization, you should be absolutely deeply petrified about the future of leadership for your company. Petrified because somebody got in a room and told you, OK, well, all right, we're going to put this statement out. And, and you know what? Nothing's going to happen. And you know what? Nothing did happen. He released a flipping apology that was like, you know what? Y'all just misinterpreted what I was trying to say. No, nobody misinterpreted you. You you said what you said. You wrote what you wrote. And you meant what you wrote. But as a CEO, I'm here. I don't listen. I don't work for Wells Fargo, but I'm here to hold everybody who thinks like the CEO of Wells Fargo. And trust me, he is not alone. That man is not existing in a silo. He's not running. Let me tell you all the buddies he's drinking with, all the board members he's chit chat, kick cat, cooling it with. Everybody who he's hanging out with has affirmed the com the, the the communication that that man made. He just was bold enough to say it. But let me tell you about the impact it's going to have on your employees. Number one, you're the CEO of that organization, which means you set the standard for leadership in your company. By you saying what you said, you just reinforce every single unconscious bias that every leader had in your organization around black talent. That's number one. Number two, you basically told every black person that wherever you are in this organization, whatever level you have reached to this point today on this here statement I released, that's as far as you're going to go. Because you know what? There ain't no talent to recruit from. Number three, you further marginalize 
black people in your organization who are already marginalized. Now they're second guessing their opinions. They're second guessing their, their performance reviews. They're second guessing their relationships with their sponsors in their organization. Because now you just basically gave everybody at the top of the house license to to scapegoat black people and to basically say, well, you know what? The reason why my team is not diverse is because, as you said, Mr. CEO, there's no black talent to pull from. Unacceptable. You can't say that. You are responsible for a significant portion of the economy. You're the CEO of one of the largest financial institutions in the world. You're not running some mom and pop hold-on shop. You don't have no little small impact. As far as I know, looking at your resume, you have worked for a significant amount of financial institutions. Your reach is vast and wide, brother. It's vast and wide. You don't have, you don't, you got to hold yourself accountable. You can't just release a flipping apology and you can't just throw money at the situation. You got to release a flame, a framework. You got to go, you got to own it. I want you to stand up in front of your organization the same way you released that memo and say, you know what? What I said was completely tone deaf. Instead of me saying that there's no talent at this organization, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to investigate my leadership team and ask them why they haven't been hiring more black talent. I want to see the performance reviews of every black employee in my organization at this salary grade level and above. And I want to evaluate them subjectively, performance-based metrics against other employees who are at a higher level in your organization. I want you to drop in on some of your meetings. I want you to, to drop in on some team member meetings. I want you to visit some branches and visit some team meetings and see who's actually speaking out at these meetings. Who's coming up with the good ideas that are being rolled out across your organization. Because I'd be willing to bet a good amount of them are coming from black people. And if you were a little bit more in touch with the ground, with the grassroots part of your organization, you would know that because there's absolutely no way that any organization is successful without diversity of thought. That's the first thing. The second thing is you need to ask yourself, am I right for this job? And yes, I, I sincerely mean that because you need to be saying, what made me like, what, what is it about me as an individual that made me feel okay to say what I said? What biases do I hold inside of my heart that made me type out those words? Because you can't possibly believe that that is true unless you don't read. And honestly, if you're the CEO of a multinational organization, you got to be reading. You don't read. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. How about visit some HBCUs? How about understanding all the talent that's coming up out of Howard, all the talent that's coming up out of Spelman and all the other H Morehouse, all the other HBCUs around here? How about you develop a talent pipeline for your organization? How about you listen to the person in the room who isn't always talking? Because that person is probably the one quietly sending emails to the leadership team with suggestions on how things can be a little bit better. I'm not going to go on any longer, but I, pu I published an article on my LinkedIn about the, this very topic, specifically what's going on with Wells Fargo. I can't even bring myself to engage anymore with what's going on with Breonna Taylor, not because it's not a tragedy, but because it is a trauma. It is a trauma that black women and black men have to live over and over and over again. And at some point, you just run out of capacity for trauma. I don't want to hear anybody on my social media networks or in my workplace saying 
Well, you know what? She shouldn't have been dealing with him anyway. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear the commentary. It's so tone deaf. It's so cold. It's so cold. And we got to stop. That's it. Thanks for tuning in. Bye, guys. Oh, and don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and rate my podcast. Bye.